Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. Each individual who hears my voice right now, and including those who hear the recording, from this point forward till I close, everything I say applies only to the hearer and no one else you know. So make a decision right now that you're not going to point a finger, that you're not going to seek distraction, but you're going to keep yourself here and focused in this place and in this message. Can y'all promise me you hang with me today? Okay. Unless there's an absolute necessity. If, a cow, if you need to change a diaper, please, by all means, go do it. So it's going to be it's going to be a little bit challenging, not because it's like, you know, but it's, it's just like I said, I cried over this. And maybe it's just me. Maybe y'all are hard rocks. OK, but it is human nature because we're so intent on acknowledging the sins of others that we focus on that speck instead of this plank. Right. You know, and there's a scripture for it that we're not going to go into because that's not the meat of this um, right now. But, you know, if you look in your brother's eye and see a speck, you need to go and deal with the plank in your own eye first. Right. Isn't that what Matthew 7 says? Verse 3 through 5, to be exact. So one more thing, I got to offer this disclaimer. I'm, excuse me, disclaimer. While I'm definitely passionate about this topic and inspired, independent of any source, I did not put this sermon together on my own. I got lots of help from John Piper (laughs) and an author named Chris Bronze, who wrote a book a few years back called Unpacking Forgiveness. John Piper, DesiringGod.org, and Chris Bronze, Unpacking Forgiveness. So if anything you hear today you want to dig deeper, because we don't have time to uncover the entire topic, then just go to Desiring God and search forgiveness, and you'll find so much more meat. So why am I so passionate about forgiveness? Because I've had a lot of practice. (laughs) Now, it came to my attention a few weeks ago that y'all be saying this behind my back. And recently to my face that I'm gangster. Um, And I honestly didn't know what to do with that at first because um, the straight up definition of a gangster is somebody who's a member of a gang of violent criminals. And I'm pretty sure (laughs) that's not me. (laughs) But once upon a time in hip hop, long ago on the west side, (laughs) when N.W.A. was giving us everything straight out of Compton and it was more than just a T-shirt. Okay, I remember those days (laughs) and I know gangster also means tough. And I think I'll take that because I've earned that. I am tough. I'm tough. I'm tough because I've been through some things Um, because it's not easy to be known for something or as something. See, all my life before repentance, I've had this gift to lead, to sing. And at one time I would have described that kind of as popular. But I know now I wasn't popular. I was just known. (laughs) Um, And when you become known for something, you become a target. Think of celebrities. Just because we can, whether you identify as somebody's fan or whether you're an internet troll, and God, I hope we pray for your deliverance today, or maybe you're a combination of both, but we tend to scrutinize and criticize and talk about the lives and attributes and characteristics of other people that we see and know something about but don't really know. It's just, it, again, part of human nature. And then social media had came along 15 years ago or so. And since that time, many of us have been encouraged to become influencers in our own realms of influence and beyond. 
Platforms rise up every day with a click and a post. You can go viral. Just go somewhere with a camera where somebody's talking to you crazy. You could possibly go viral. It happens all the time now. But I'm definitely not a celebrity. Don't get it twisted. But as someone who's been known by many for a long time, um, I've been a youth pastor's wife. Now I'm a pastor's wife. And every role I've been blessed to hold as an adult has allowed people to know my name when I didn't know theirs. I have weekly, daily practice with forgiveness as a result of that. I daily have to deal with people who, have, who I know have said things or done things to hurt or affect me. And then in a normal context as a human, I, like you, have had countless interactions and experiences that have brought me many opportunities to forgive. I'm one of three sisters, and it went down in my house. <laughs> Okay, we used to call each other all kinds of names and fight and bicker, but we were still sisters. So we could talk to like, like that to each other. But you better not be outside our family talking to us. Then, you know, we were all coming together and we were going to get you. Um, you know, I wasn't a fighter. I was a talker. I'm a diplomat. Yeah, Kiki will get you. Okay, that's my older sister. Robin will get you. <laughs> Robin will get everybody. Um, my sisters, Kiki and Robin. As a wife, I forgive daily because I'm living with a loving but imperfect husband. As a mom, I get to raise bluntly honest little people. <laughs> Figuring life out out loud. Okay, many days I'm called out by a sweet little voice. Mommy, you were supposed to do this, but you didn't do that. Mommy, you look a little fat in that. What's wrong with your hair? And I could go on. But no matter how big or small the criticism, I have to forgive and move on. And I do it with joy on most days now. I do it with joy because of all the days in the past that I had to do it for more serious reasons, with tears, fighting against bitterness. See, I was tested many times in my youth. I had my good friend, we go back a long time. I'm not gonna say how long, cause you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got look. Well, you got gray, I don't have any. <laughs> But even before I met you, even before I met my dear friend here, I was bullied for being overweight. I was overweight as a child and very smart in elementary school, if I do say so myself. Um, so I was a nerd and I was, I was called names and picked on. I remember as a young adult visiting churches in other places 15, 20 years ago or so where people didn't accept the way I dressed and did not accept the way I wore my hair and would call me out across the pulpit. Walking up here in them ripped jeans and them dreadlocks. I didn't even have dreadlocks. <laughs> I've experienced rejection and heartache at the hands of a known enemy or even a friend. I've had friendships crash and burn. I've suffered breakups and mean girls. And I've had to hold my head up high when my reputation was at stake for nothing. No reason except people were being mean and nasty. I've been lied on, cheated, talked about, mistreated. I've been buked and I've been scorned. All of that. Every Negro spiritual and song you could think of, I've been that. And I cried out to God because I needed to find my why. If I was going to get through all of that and stay saved, I needed relief. I needed a strategy. See, when I'm not here at KLM, I'm a content strategist. I spend all of my time strategizing the best way to deliver messages, especially online. And I needed the best way for this to be played out in my life, even before I took that on as a career, even before I knew I had that aptitude. I was always looking for a strategy to cope with something. And I remember clear as day, the moment I looked into a scripture 
into the, my Bible, I was reading, at a very familiar passage and understood it with my heart and spirit beyond my mental capacity, beyond my developing theology. And it's Matthew 6, 5 through 15. Y'all know it as the Lord's Prayer. Wait, 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 are these scriptures in here? Oh, okay. I don't see the scriptures, but it's okay. I can read it to you. I'm in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Verse nine. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. I want to skip over. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Anybody ever saw that part of the Lord's Prayer? Let's read that again. I have another translation. That's verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. Y'all, more than anything, I wanted to be forgiven. That's why I got saved. That's why I'm here. That's why I came. I wanted to be forgiven, and I knew God had done that. And I appreciated all that he had to do to do that so that I could stand forgiven. So I didn't want to tick off my heavenly father and not offer to others what he freely offers to me. I quickly made the adjustment in my heart. I was about 23, 22, 23 years old. And since that moment when offense or hurt comes, I quickly remind myself that God forgave me of so much and that, that my temptation to hold a grudge or not forgive someone else is not the spirit of Christianity. It's the spirit of the devil. It's the spirit of the devil. It's hard to say, but it, it's hard to hear it, but it's the spirit of the devil. So much so that if I don't forgive you, God won't forgive me. So Courtney, what are you saying today? That God will not forgive us if we don't forgive others? I'm sure, I'm, I, I am, I'm, I sure am, I sure am. John Piper boils it down to these three points. No one goes to heaven unforgiven by God. Heaven is a place given only to forgiven sinners. No one is forgiven who is unwilling to be forgiven. You can't be forgiven if you're unwilling to be forgiving. And the third is this. No one goes to heaven who is unforgiving. 
See, heaven is a place of forgiven people, of forgiven souls. And if you're not forgiving, you can't be forgiven. Anybody ever understood that like that before? It's almost hard to believe, isn't it? Even if we know it, it's hard to functionally live it out. This scripture and these points are backed up by so many other scriptures. Let's look at a few of them. James 2 verse 13 says this, for judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We live in a society where people are always judging about something. And people, we, we, we are in a church now full of people who don't want, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. The gospel according to Tupac. Only God can judge me. But mercy triumphs judgment. We shouldn't even be concerned about what people are going to get in the end. We should be concerned about what we're giving because of what we've been given. Every day we have mercies new without measure. You meditate on that every day is full of new mercies for us. I was on the way here. I was breaking every speed limit. I was riding. No, I wasn't riding dirty because I did have my license today. I've been known to ride without my wallet unintentionally. But I'm shown mercy so much. And because I was meditating on this message, people were cutting me off. And, you know, I am without, without the grace of God. I'm given to a little bit of what people call road rage. And I will go off. And I thank God that most of the time I do that, I'm in my car alone or nobody would think I'm saved. And <laughs> this morning I was meditating on this message and I was like, you can go because I went all the way through the New Jersey Turnpike and I was speeding. I was going 85 miles an hour and the police were stopping everybody but me. Oh God, you're so merciful. You can go by. You can cut me off. It's okay. <laughs> Mercy triumphs. Here's another scripture. The merciful are blessed for they will be shown mercy. Mercy. Those of you who are, who are in our women's Facebook group know that this week I was blessed to be the peacemaker at work when some folks were about to come to blows. But this is another one of the Beatitudes. Bless, you know, so blessed are those who do this. Blessed are those who seek righteousness, for they shall be filled. The merciful are blessed, for they, and they will be shown mercy. So, little known fact. Once upon a time, I was destined for a STEM degree. Did you know this, Michelle? Probably not. Nothing about me says science, tech, math, engineering. But at one point, I was going that direction because... Um, I scored into an extremely accelerated mathematics program when I was in the fifth grade. And from the sixth grade until the 11th grade, I learned um, very advanced math. In the sixth grade, I learned algebra one, geometry, and algebra two in two semesters. Um, in the seventh grade, we learned logic. <laughs> and I loved logic. I don't remember much about that math. I think they did something to my brain when I took those classes because when I, when I came out, they taught us a very specific way. And when I came out, I couldn't compute the way other people could. So, you know, whatever. But one thing that I held on to was logic and the, those conditional statements. I love them. I love them. So I want to focus on the inverse. So like if the original statement is if P then Q, the inverse would be if not P then not Q. So if we look at Matthew 5, verse 7, like that, the unmerciful are not blessed, for they shall not receive mercy. 
That's the way that I see that scripture because of, you know, all the logic that I took when I was in the seventh grade that stayed with me all these years. I do almost nothing with that math that I learned. But when I read scripture, I, I take these statements and I'm like, whoa. So if the Lord is saying this and it's not true in every case, you kind of, you know, because what, what we're meant to do is to um, line upon line, precept of my precept, you know, use the word to study the word. Right. But this helps me sometimes to get a deeper understanding of the context of a passage. So the inverse of Matthew five verse seven is the unmerciful are not blessed for they shall not receive mercy. Isn't that something? Now, if you want to go a little further and I always want to go further. You can deduce that the unmerciful are cursed for they shall not receive mercy. That's the gospel according to Courtney. Don't go nowhere thinking that. <laughs> that is just for you to get further understanding. That's how I use it. So I just thought I would share that. Woo Lord. So I need and appreciate God's forgiveness too much to get caught up in the hypocrisy of unforgiveness. And it's hard for all of us because we forget or have not yet understood that forgiveness is essential to salvation. Consider the parable of the unforgiving servant. That's Matthew 18 verses 21 through 35. And I'll be reading it from the Holman Christian Study Bible version. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against, sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said, I tell you not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. Now, listen to this parable. When he, talking about the king, began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents, which is about a million dollars today, was brought before him. Since he had no way to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the slave fell down, fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Verse 27, then the master of that slave had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. But that slave, that very same slave who begged, for forgiveness, went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Now that's nothing. Okay. That's like maybe, I'm not sure exactly how much it is. It's $40. Oh, you better know. Bible scholar. He grabbed for $40. Now he's just been forgiven a million dollars. And for $40, he grabs up his friend or his, you know, his um, fellow slave and started choking him for $40. After he had just, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to be reading the passage. I'm trying to, anyway, he grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him. Now, wasn't he just begging? Be patient with me and I will pay you back. Verbatim, almost the same thing he asked the master for. Verse 30, but he, the slave, wasn't willing on the contrary, he went and threw him, the guy that owed him $40, into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other slaves saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Now, come on now. What do you think is going to happen? 
How you think the master who just forgave him a million dollars, who just said, oh, I won't sell you and your wife and your kids and everything you own. I forgive you. What do you think he had to say about this? Verse 32. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So my heavenly father, this is Jesus talking. These are words in red. So my heavenly father will also do to each of you that does not forgive his brother or sister from his or her heart. Again, that's some of the gospel according to Courtney, but it's still the word, amen. Let's pause and think about that. It's not enough to want to be forgiven. It's not enough to need forgiveness, but each of us must be willing and repentant. We each must be an active participant by asking God in faith for forgiveness from our own sins and corresponding actions for the rest of this new abundant life we're given as a result of asking God for forgiveness and repenting as Christians is to forgive people who do us wrong. Likewise, we shouldn't be doing others wrong either. So it's just like this circle. God forgives us, we forgive others. We don't, it's, it's the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and soul, and others as yourself. Forgiveness is an essential part of this Christian faith. You see, our confession of sins to the Lord Jesus is a confession of faith unto salvation and repentance. I'm a little bit ahead of myself in the slides, but I have one more scripture I want to read. If we confess our sins, he, being God, this is 1 John 1 and 9. I'm sorry. 1 John 1 and 9. I'm reading the Holman Christian Standard Bible version. If we forgive, excuse me, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we don't forgive, we don't believe. It's kind of that simple. If I don't confess and see my need for forgiveness when I mess up, I don't really believe. You and I need faith in Christ to understand what he did for us so that we can functionally live out confession and forgiveness of sin for ourselves and toward others. See, it's just as important to forgive yourself. You must be willing to acknowledge and confront your own sin. Don't hide away from it. In Christ, there's no condemnation. So in faith, acknowledge it and repent. And the same faith it takes to confess Jesus as Lord is the same faith it takes to confess our messes. It's the same faith we need to forgive others. Forgiveness is essential to an eternal Christian existence. John Piper says this, the greatest risk we face as a church in these days is that we may lose heaven. Because one way to lose heaven is to hold fast to an unforgiving spirit and so prove that we have never been indwelt by the spirit of Christ. 
Jesus said it like this. Our father who art in heaven, dot, dot, dot. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. I just mixed up two different translations, but y'all know what I mean. And then in verses 14 and 15, he explains why he taught us to pray that way. For if you forgive men their, their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. When you hold on to unforgiveness, you cannot be forgiven by God. You will not be forgiven by God. If you live your life stuck in unforgiveness, you will not go to heaven. Let's make it plain. Unforgiveness will cause us to lose heaven and gain hell. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, forgive each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. In other words, God's forgiveness is underneath ours and it creates and supports our forgiveness so that if we don't give it to others, if we go on in an unforgiving spirit, what we show is that God is not in our lives because we're not trusting him. And not trusting him will keep us out of heaven and cause us to be handed over like that slave to the tormentors. Not trusting God will keep us out of heaven. So that was my introduction. <laughs> I am my husband's wife. <laughs> Today's title message somewhere in here in all these slides is faith and forgiveness. Faith and forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? Oh, amen. Amen. Got my back always. <laughs> oh, amen. Faith and forgiveness is today's topic. Okay, so can y'all get me back to that what is forgiveness slide, my brothers? Don't you love technology? Thank God for proclaim. Let's just lift our hands and do a proclaim praise. That's the program that we use to run all of this. Amen. And it doesn't run without faithful people using it. So thank y'all for all those three in that row. They're always on there fixing stuff up, especially Dave these days. So what is forgiveness? As I've said earlier, forgiveness is essential to the Christian existence. When you feel that someone is your enemy or when you simply feel that someone you care about has been done wrong. Forgiveness means. Resisting revenge. These are some scriptures. I'm not going to go into them. If you want to write them up, you can. I'm going to ask Lauren. Hey, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm going to ask Lauren to take my notes after today and get it ready for the blog so that you guys can um, refer to this online. Forgiveness means resisting revenge, not returning evil for evil, wishing the people who do you wrong well, grieving when they have tra tragedy and misfortune, Praying for their welfare. Seeking reconciliation so far as it depends on you. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. You can't, your, 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 your forgiveness can't force someone to reconcile with you. But we'll talk about that more. I want to get ahead of myself. And coming to their aid when they are in distress. Lord, have mercy. That's the whole reason we're here today. Lord, have mercy. Yeah. All these point to a forgiving heart. And the heart is all important because in that very last line of that Matthew 18 through 35, 
Jesus said, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So that's a lot to digest. We're going to keep talking about it. What forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not the absence of anger at sin. Come on, somebody. See, we want to be forgiven. But what we really are saying is, I don't want you to be mad at me. But it really doesn't work that way. It does not. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I apologize for that typo. It does not necessarily, it is not necessary. That's what it should be. It is not necessary for you to force yourself to feel good about something horrible. That's not forgiveness. Amen. I'm glad. That I'm, amen. You don't have to feel good about something dirty that went down to forgive it. You can forgive it and still acknowledge that it was wrong. And forgiveness is not the absence of serious consequences for sin. We're going to dig into that a little bit. In other words, if you send somebody to jail for breaking the law against you, that doesn't mean that you didn't forgive them. It means that they got to pay the consequences. We got a lot of people who will say, oh, no, that's all right. Let them go. The Bible is not telling you to let the person who put a dent in your car go. But when they were driving under the influence of something, they got to pay for that. OK, well, well, I, I, you know what? That's your choice. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But what I'm saying is that that is not required. Amen. Y'all know what I'm saying, right? Hope someone is set free by that. Okay, so and I want to dig into this about forgiveness not being the absence of serious consequences. Let's look at Hebrews. Did that advance? I know it's a little bit slow with these. Okay, let's look at Hebrews. The book of Hebrews teaches that Christians are forgiven for their sins, that all Christians are forgiven for their sins. But on the other hand, it teaches that our Heavenly Father disciplines us sometimes severely. So Hebrews 8.12 says this, For I will be merciful to their wrongdoing, and I will never again remember their sins. In other words, you know, people sing, and it's not necessarily this scripture, but you've heard about the seed of forgetfulness, that God will forgive us, and then, you know, he remembers our sin no more. But then that has to be understood in the context of, of the way that this all works. If we go to Hebrews 12, Verses 3 through 12. And I, I want to go ahead and read all of those. Um, this is Hebrews 12, verse 3 through 12. This is where we learn about the Father's discipline. For consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you were without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Come on now. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Everybody disciplines differently, but this is the idea here. Verse 9. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he, God, does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but it's painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees. And it goes on. So 
God forgives us and he casts our sin into the quote unquote sea of forgetfulness. But we still got to pay consequences. We still got to be disciplined when we fall short and we don't do right, when we are disobedient, when we are wrong, when we do wrong. So our sins are forgiven and forgotten in the sense that they no longer bring down the wrath of God, but not in the sense that they no longer require the father's discipline. And so some of us get that twisted. Oh, well, because God forgave me, I'm exempt from the discipline. And it doesn't quite work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. Let's look at David, not our David, David in the Bible. <laughs> now, we all know about David, right? We all we all know about David. And according to 1 Samuel 13, 14, David was a man after God's own heart. But we also know from the scriptures that David had some mess in his life, like all of us. Right. He had some mess. He he took another man's wife that wasn't his and he killed that man. OK, for the sake of the little ones who are here, we won't get too graphic. So let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. I really like Nathan. <clears throat> Let me keep going. When he arrived, he said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a large number of sheep and cattle. Now he's setting David up. But the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and it grew up living with him and his children. It shared his meager food and drank from his cup. It slept in his arms and it was like a daughter to him. Verse four. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guests. David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Now, you know, when the shoe is on the other foot, it's something else. And here comes the setup. David is still saying. Because he has done this thing and shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. Nathan replied to David, you are the man. <laughs> this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. It was a different time, y'all. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the command of the Lord by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. My God, thank God for grace. Thank God for this dispensation. Okay, but this is what happened to David. I will take your wives. Shouldn't have had all of them anyway. And give them to another before your very eyes. And he will sleep with them publicly. Open shame. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel in broad daylight. Somebody say to whom much is given, much is required. Okay. David responded to Nathan. And this is the part that pricks my heart because you kind of want to almost get mad at David. David responded, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. 
and you will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. The son born to you will die. Then Nathan went home. The Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had born to David and he became ill. And it goes on. Now, when I say I love Nathan, Nathan comes, sets him up, drops the mic, and then is out. <laughs> but I don't want to make light of this because this is serious. This is serious. This is a weighty passage. And you feel the weight and the remorse when David confesses, I have sinned against the Lord. Do you feel that? You kind of like everything is being set up to like, okay, oh, man, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. But he just simply acknowledged, yes, I did that. I sinned. Even David, God's anointed, God's favored, was incapable of missing it, misses it, and has to deal with the consequences. God spared his life and forgave him, but with mercy came punishment. We also see God providing mercy but not preventing consequences throughout the Bible. Like Numbers 14, I'm not going to go there, but the Israelites in the wilderness who didn't believe the good report, they didn't go to the promised land. They didn't go. I want to talk about, um, well, oh yeah, actually, I do have this up here so you can see just a little context. And the Lord responded, I have pardoned them as you requested, yet as surely as I live and as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory. Because remember, they were in the wilderness beholding some things, you know, the pillar of smoke by day and then the whatever at night. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They saw some miracles. They, they saw the sea part. Some of, You know, they were still alive. They saw the manna come from heaven. They were eating and wasn't doing nothing to get the food. It was coming out of the sky. You saw the glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these 10 times and did not obey me. Somebody say, when the Lord is fed up, ain't nothing you can do about it. That's the remix. Okay. Will ever see the land I swore to their fathers. None of those who have despised me will see it. God is fed up and he says, no more. You're done. Thank God for grace on this side of the cross. Amen. Thank God for mercy. And y'all think I'm gangster. So side, side note, don't provoke God. Because he's still the same God. But thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for redemption. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But don't provoke him because he's the original gangster. <laughs> so Psalm 99 verse 8 says this. Did y'all go over Psalm 99 this morning during worship, before worship? Yeah. yeah. So verse 8 takes all these examples and sums them up like this. Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, an avenger of their sinful actions. My translation here in my notes says you were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger. Oh, yeah, same thing. So forgiveness is not the absence of serious consequences for sin. One thing I want to talk about before we get into some um, some of the points, um, and I, I promise you we don't have too much longer to go over this. I want to talk about the forgiveness of an unrepentant person. Forgiveness of an unrepentant person doesn't look the same as the forgiveness of a repentant person. John Piper says this. He, he says that he doesn't think the Bible ever uses the term forgiveness towards someone who does not repent. Jesus said in Luke 17, 3 and 4, be on guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. So you see the difference? Someone sins, rebuke them. 
But if they repent, forgive them. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. So from that, it's safe to say that to understand full forgiveness, we have to understand that it's only possible in response to repentance. The full work of forgiveness is only possible in response to repentance. Because if we confess our sins, this is 1 John 1 and 9 again, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Make no mistake, God does not forgive everything. He does not forgive everybody. His forgiveness is conditional. So we must confess. If we're going to be forgiven, we have to confess, right? I submit to you today that forgiveness is not only conditional for God, it should be conditional in your relationships with people too. We must have an attitude of grace and a willingness to forgive all people, but complete forgiveness can only take place where there is repentance. When a person does not repent, we are commanded to love them as an enemy and pray for them who persecute us and do good to those who hate us, right? But the difference is this, a person who does you wrong and does not repent who does not have remorse about it, who does not confess that they sinned against you, who does not turn from their sin to righteousness, cuts off the full work of forgiveness in their lives. But nothing they're doing is cutting off the full work of forgiveness in yours. So you still lay down your ill will. You still get mad, but don't sin and hang that anger, pan that anger over to God. You seek to do good to the person who sinned against you. But you cannot carry that person through to intimacy or reconciliation. That's something they have to do by turning away from their own sin. Y'all following me? Piper cites Thomas Watson, a Puritan writer who was alive like in the 15th century. And he says it this way in Old English. We are not bound to trust an enemy, but we are bound to forgive him. I say it like this. I forgive you, but I don't trust you. And it's okay to say that, but it's not okay to say or even think, and I refuse to ever trust you. And I won't allow you to try and rebuild trust with me. In fact, I hope nobody ever trusts your behind. And I don't care if your life blows up in your face because nobody trusts you. Now that's too far. That's wrong. That's sin. That's when you, you, you put one foot in hell. And if you keep on, you're going to go. Okay. But it's all right to say, I forgive you. I don't trust you and leave it right there. Then it's that person's responsibility to turn away from their sin and try to rebuild trust with you. If you got, you just work that out that way. Y'all understand what I'm saying with this? Where I'm going? John Piper warns that to limit, I mean, to, to go farther from that, I forgive you, but I don't trust you into, and I never will. That's not a forgiving spirit. That's an unforgiving spirit. And your soul is in danger when you're there. So where does forgiveness meet faith? Because this message is called faith and forgiveness, right? In first Peter it's described so powerfully. So let's go there because this is how Christ set an example for us. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffering, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. We have to entrust ourselves just like Jesus did. Jesus was going through everything he was going through. 
when he was on his way to the cross, when he was on the cross. But he prayed for forgiveness. He said, what? Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And he continued entrusting himself to God the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus practiced what he was preaching in the Lord's Prayer. He practiced that. Forgive others, God will forgive you. You don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. It's just the way it is. So we must renounce revenge and trust our cause to God and then return good for evil, which is hard. You got to be walking in the spirit to do that, right? But that's our part in forgiveness. And we can do it whether the person who sins against us admits wrong or not. Because the great miracle has already happened in us. We have this heart that was made new. We're not responsible for the miracle happening in someone else. That's, th that's on them to get it right with God. But we can properly steward the miracle that is in us, that's in our hearts. So I want to go to Romans 5. We're about to close. I know this is scripture heavy, but I really want you to see that this isn't my opinion. This is the word on it. Amen. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the appointed moment, the, the um, verse that I know by heart says at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that in while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Amen. And not only that, but we also rejoiced in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through him. When I confessed Jesus, my life changed forever. And I will not spit in the face of Jesus who bled and died so I could stand here before you today. All that I've been forgiven, I can't be like that selfish, hypocritical servant who begged for the lives of his wife and kids, who promised to pay and then went off to collect $40 like a thug. Has anything real even happened in your heart if you can ignore mercy and withhold it from another person? No. And that's the point of this message today. Hear me. Don't miss heaven because you want to put somebody else through hell. You'll make them pay here. 
but you'll pay the price for eternity. Let us pray. Father, you love us with an everlasting love. Even before we were looking for you, you were looking for us. You stood with your arms outstretched, beckoning us to come to you. Before the foundations of the world, you made a way for it to happen. And we're so grateful for your forgiveness, for your mercy, your grace, your pardon, your ransom, and peace with you through Christ. So we thank you for having mercy on us. Help us show mercy to those we do life with. Help us to love our enemies and to do the difficult things that provide the evidence that we are your people and you are our father. Let our new hearts reign. Help us to renew our minds daily. And when we miss it, we thank you for creating in us clean hearts and renewing the right spirit in us. Forgive us, O oh Lord, according to your mercies. Thank you for washing us thoroughly from sin. May the cleansing blood prevail for us always and forever. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Rancocas, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to His Word. God bless you.